Today we're going to look at a concept of what the end will look like according to Jesus. Now, of all prophets, he's my favorite. <laughs> and so I'm going to invite you to memorize something this morning. So I want to talk to you about all the passages that Jesus spoke on to explain the end times to us. And this lesson I wrote in college. And I'm going to say, wow, my examples are so outdated. And then I want to say, wow, it's even more true now than it was then. And I have it fixed. I made this up. I've never seen this type of a presentation, but this is how I feel like that Jesus was explaining the end to us. I want you to think of the end in terms of something of an analogy. I want you to think of it in terms of if you're wanting to know how it's going to look, I want you to look at the end in terms of something that Jesus uses a certain type of way of describing what it's going to be like. Can any of you think of what the analogy is? So it's an analogy that only one half of our population has experienced. It's an analogy that only half of the world could ever experience. The pains of childbirth. And guys, this is going to give you a chance to experience childbirth. <laughs> because that's what Jesus said the end will be like. is childbirth. So when you've watched your wife go through it and think, wow, thank goodness that's not me. Or, you know, I've heard men say every man would have one child and then he would call it off. There would be <laughs> no multiple families <laughs> if they could persuade him to have one. I think it's interesting that Jesus, when he decided to tell us what it would be like. He described it in terms of childbirth. Now, Paul picks up on that in Romans 8, 28, where he discusses the intensity of the childbirth laboring. Now, you're going to enjoy looking at my little graphics. When I was young, I had time to fool around with my graphics, but you see what I was comparing the end to. Mm -hmm. So I saw it as the Titanic. <laughs> It was going down. I was talking to a lady who had watched the Titanic back then, and she said, apart from the out-of-marriage sexual scenes or the nudity or the language or using God's name in vain, she said, apart from those, the Titanic movie made a great testimony to what the end would be like. Now, we have used this analogy sometimes, and then we have distanced ourselves from this analogy. Because it seems to be that when people think of the Titanic going down, they think that they are like sitting on a lawn chair observing a ship going down and going, wow, I can't wait till this goes down and then it's over with. And they just kind of have their lawn chair out and they're watching it like they watch a movie. But I'm going to ask you what could be done about the sinking of the Titanic? What can be done about these different aspects? But I am going to say there are some things about the Titanic movie what happened when the Titanic went down, it's some similarities. First of all, people thought the Titanic couldn't sink. They were very impressed with themselves. And so humanity has come into a time where we are very impressed with our technology, with all the different things that we have that are advanced. Think about this analogy of the Titanic. At one point in the sinking of the Titanic, would you agree money had no value? And I would say there is a moment that in one instance, money has no value to help you. The ship sinking is quick and everything you own will completely be gone. There is nothing you can do. 
every relationship, everything of value, it sinks in an instant's time. It goes underneath the water. And then the other analogy that I think is similar, that there is a concept that some will be rescued and some will not. The division will go down very quickly. And so when you think about the Titanic and the sinking of the Titanic, you can realize money will be worthless to you. It will sink and your relationships will be divided very quickly between those who will be rescued and those who will not. And they will party right up until the time of the disaster. And that's why it does correspond with it. It's a life is grand mood change to life is disastrous. And I think we can say that that is what we face. Now, I think another way to look at it is that Jesus himself, when he was explaining it, the same thing happened. Because there's no accident in Luke 21, 5, how they explain this. He says that they were enjoying themselves. The disciples were walking alone. When do you have the disciples talking to Jesus about how beautiful everything looks around them? You don't have them going up to some of the waterfalls in Israel and saying that. Or there's a place in Israel that looks like the Grand Canyon. You don't have the disciples telling about being at the Dead Sea. You don't have them ever commenting on how gorgeous the scenery is. This is the one time that I found that the disciples make notice of how beautiful everything is. And it's in Luke 21 verse 5. They were enjoying themselves. And they were strolling looking at the architecture. And something about votive candles. There was something there, probably being sold as it is today. And they were looking at it and they tell Jesus, aren't these buildings beautiful? I mean, they were having that moment of life is grand. And I don't think we can walk away from the meaning that that's exactly what people are saying. Look at what we have built. Look at what we sell. Look at what we do. Life is better than we could ever expect it. It just is one of those moments you feel like all is well with the world. All is perfect. And then Jesus puts a complete damper on their mood. I mean, he does a mood shift. He does a mood change. I don't see how you can miss that that's how they portray it even in the scriptures. That it's literally a shift completely from life is grand to Jesus quickly spools their mood of admiration with what he says next. And he says, everything you look at will be torn down. And so you see that same dramatic shift. You see that same thinking that, well, my life is just perfect. I have it exactly the way that I want it to be. And we're saying it in a sense of apart from Christ. Life is just grand. We're looking at, you know, if Washington, D.C. has a problem, then we will fancy in what's grand about it. If this has a problem, we will protect our land. Our life is just perfect. And so it's an ultimate tested by praise if you've ever listened to it. If you've ever praised something and it wasn't truly an appreciation to God or a gratefulness or acknowledgement of Him, you're leaving yourself wide open. If it's just a, I'm just feeling that wonderful feeling inside of how wonderful everything is. And people are doing it without the Lord. Without acknowledging, oh, this is a nation under God. And we are blessed by this creator God of providence. We have been given liberties by God alone. We don't have freedom apart from God. People are demanding freedom, but they're demanding it apart from God. 
And that's where the mood change changes quickly. This isn't for us, but yet it was for us. The disciples were commenting, and it is told to them at that point. In Matthew 24, 3, the disciples say three questions about the end. And this is where Jesus tells you what's going to go down. Now, at that point, when Jesus says this is all going to be torn down, he says a very strong statement. Look, guys, there's not going to be one stone left on another. In other words, it will be so completely devastated, destroyed, that what man put together won't have even one thing left of what man does. Do you see how they're explaining it? They've taken the stones of the field, they've hewn them, they've cut them, they've made a gorgeous building, but when it's through, there won't be one thing that man can do that will stick together. And that's the setting that he lays out for us. So I want you to make sure that you understand the context. We've talked about this in the parables of the end. I'm not going to go through the parables of the end. Now I'm going to take the words of Jesus that he spoke around this point. And in this, three questions asked of Jesus, three questions about the end. And they come rapidly. Now, you can say that this is either a question and a compounded question, or it's three. So any way you want to look at it. When will this be? What will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the end of the age? So this is what's asked of Jesus when he tells you what's next. Now, I think that you can memorize what I'm going to tell you. I want you to memorize where it is in your Bible that Jesus talks about the end. It's in Matthew 24. It's in Mark 13. And then it's in Luke, watch this, 12, chapter 12 chapter 21. So you see with Luke, you just switch them. So it's Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 12, and Luke 21. And right there, any argument or any discipleship you're doing about what the end will be like, according to what Jesus says, you will find in these passages. This is where he explains what the end will be like. And I'm going to title what Jesus calls it as warnings on war. That he warns us that it will be like war. Knowledge will increase on the earth, but peace will not increase. <laughs> so man has somehow thought we're going to have global peace. If y'all will just do this, we're going to have peace. But we have knowledge or information increasing, but not peace. And what we will do, we'll read like a newspaper to you. So, we're going to take it from Mark 13. Mark 13 gives us most of all the elements in the shortest of the Gospels. So in Mark 13, 5 through 12, these verses proceed to name all the battlefields where you will face war on every front. So, as some of us have been talking, I think everybody wants to retreat back into a time when everything's at peace. You know, that there's not any kind of conflict going on, that you don't have anything you have to resist, that we're just in that wonderful, millennial, hallmark, beautiful time of admiration. <laughs> so says your wife when she's in the middle of birth pain. <laughs> When will this quit? When will this let up? And it will go to an intensity till we birth the Messiah back into the earth. 
and he will come again. It will be where we say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Lord, come, come into my heart. Because our whole objective on earth is to bring Christ into the earth. So it's birth pains. So you could call these your birth pains or you could call it the war. So these verses name all the battlefields. And I would say you face it on all fronts. You feel like it is taking over your entire life. So verse 5, and it says, And Jesus began to say to them, See to it that no one misleads you. So the first thing that will happen to you is there will be people that will try to get you off track. They will get you into deception. So the first one is war on your mind. It will try to draw you into things that will mislead you. Have you seen that happen in huge amounts where people get drawn into the wrong <laughs> advice, ideas? The danger of deception is you don't know you're deceived. Doesn't it bother you when you're around somebody and their thinking is all wrong and you can't seem to get their thinking right? It's like their head's all messed up. And no matter what you tell them, you can't seem to bring them to the point where they love truth, where there's peace. And you're living in a time when there's many people with their head in a state of war. They're being led in the way of a deceptive way. They're just, they're going in the wrong direction with their whole life. The sad thing about deception is that it's a path where it leads to what it's going to end up like. It will be like the effects of war. You don't want to be misled during wartime. That is not a good time to be misled. Jesus goes on to say, many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will mislead many. So there are many people that claim to have the answer, to be the Messiah, to be the promised one. It's a plurality of all types of belief systems. And just like Jesus said, I am he, it will cause many people to run off into other doctrines, into other different types of thinking. That's why I'm telling you, stick to your Bible. Stick to those red letters. Stick to what Jesus told us. It's the simplicity of your Bible that gives you the profound wisdom. He told you this thousands of years ahead of time. Verse 7, And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Those things must take place, but this is not yet the end. Oh. Come on in. We're very glad to see you. Introduce who you have with you. <laughs> Chris, we're glad you're here. Lori, you've come a long ways to see us. Okay, this morning we're talking on something very interesting. We're talking on what the end time will be like according to Jesus. And it's very easy to memorize the passages. Jesus didn't talk about the end all through the Gospels, just every other sentence or here, there, and yonder. Jesus talked about the end times in three passages in your Bible if you take Luke and split it. It's in Matthew 24, it's in Mark 13, and it's in Luke 12, chapter 12, and Luke chapter 21. The Apostle John decided he would write a whole book on it. 
And so the Apostle John didn't include it into the gospel. But we have Jesus telling his disciples what the end would be like. And you see that it's a quick mood change. We talked about it's a lot like the sinking of the Titanic. At the point that the Titanic goes down, money means nothing. <laughs> At the moment that the Titanic sinks, you can't buy your way out of anything. Your money is not worth anything. In fact, the relationships are about to go down on the Titanic. And so if you've seen the movie, you will realize that there's several things that take place when the ship sinks. Money becomes valueless. Secondly, some will be rescued and some won't. The division line is very quick of some will make it through it and some will not make it through it. Today, I'm going to encourage you how to make it through it. Jesus tells you what kind of atmosphere there will be, and he also is going to tell you how you can make it through this time period. And see, you're at an advantage if you know something that no one else knows. You're at an advantage if you have information that no one has, and it's hidden right there in your Bible. And there's one chapter devoted to it in all the Gospels except John, and the synoptics is how they would say it. So you've got the fact that the ship goes down very quickly. Money is worth nothing. Secondly, you have the aspect that some will be rescued and some won't, and that's the focus of your attention, is who's going to make it and who's not going to make it through this time. And the third thing that you have to realize that it's similar is that people will party until the ship goes down. They will party till there's a disaster. And so that's what the world state will be like. They will be in a perpetual party. Bring breaks will continue on. And you see a mood shift of when Jesus spools their mood that it's much like that ship of when it flips. Now, y'all got to know, I'm a happy person. I enjoy the most optimistic ways. I'm trying to guide you through this in the best possible way to make it through. I like movies with a happy ending. So the reason I'm giving this to you is to take a look at prophecy that has been here for hundreds of years, centuries, and then we could even say thousands of years, that it's been 2,000 years since these prophecies have been said. So they asked Jesus in Matthew 24, they say, when will this take place, that everything's torn down? What will be the sign of your coming, and what will be the close of the age? Now... The way that I'm going to put this is something I wrote in college. It's warnings about war. And so the first thing that takes place that we wrote down is that knowledge will increase during this time. You know what book tells us that knowledge will increase? What is the hottest thing on the world market? It's not Bitcoin. Uh, what's the hottest thing on the world market? Information. What's the currency between countries? information. It's an information war. And that's what the book of Daniel will tell you, that everybody will have knowledge will increase, but peace won't increase. And that is what drives you crazy, is to have the fact that knowledge improves, but not peace. Now, from all my years of being at the state school and being a volunteer working with youth, they have learned that education has done nothing to stop the criminal population. It's just made them smarter. <laughs> and so the same thing now has happened in the school system. We're smarter, but our hearts aren't peaceful. 
And Jesus is the only thing that can truly give people peace. That's why values and character and the things that they used to teach in school before they decided they didn't want anything like that, no teaching on values or character, we've come into a place where we've just given over to knowledge. But with knowledge, it has not made our world more peaceful. And so as we go down it, I think you're going to be amazed, like I was, that it's like reading a newspaper. So out of Matthew 24, Mark 13, and the Luke version, I'm going to work down the book of Mark. There's only a few scriptures on it, and we'll discuss those. So the first one that Jesus says in verse 5 is that, And Jesus said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. The first area that you will have a war is your mind. Have you ever had somebody say something to you and you just go, oh, that just makes my head spin? Or could that be right? Have you ever been in that mental warfare where it's just an attack on your mind? Or you feel like you're almost seduced, like carried away? In the end, there will be many that try to mislead you. Let me tell you whose words you can count on. Jesus. He's saying, don't let anyone take my place in your life. And that's where I would invite you, don't make this hard. Don't get into all the crazy stuff. I always got tickled at my prison, guys. They read some of the most confounded documents from all different times, but would not take a look at three simple chapters that explain what's going to happen. Now, what makes this so unusual is the fact that Jesus told this to us thousands of years before it happened. Thousands of years before it happened. He tells us, hundreds of years before it happened, and literally he makes it where it's very understandable what's going to take place. That's what makes you see the genius of what he laid out for us. But alas, some of the prison guys, they would get it, and some of the best preachers we had were right there in the prison because your eyes come alive. So when it says to you, verse 5, number 1, there's going to be a war against your mind. It's going to literally try to take your mind over. Isn't that an interesting place for Jesus to start? The first thing that will try to happen to you is you will be misled. A war on your mind. The second thing that will try to happen to you after deception, many in the world will be deceived. And I look at it sometimes and I think, does anybody think straight? Is there anybody out there that has a sound mind about them? Like my dad used to play that game with me. Angie, it's just you and me left. We'd be sitting in the truck, and he goes, the whole world out there is crazy. And I'd be looking around because we'd had a really bad day in ministry. Don't let anybody kid you. If you raised a pastor's kid, you'll see some hilarious things with people. Work with people. They're interesting. We'd be sitting there, and he goes, Angie, the whole world's crazy. It's just down to you and me. And I'd look over at my dad, and I'd think, it's just us. He was doing the movie Legend before <laughs> they had written it. And he goes, look out there, Angie, they're all crazy. And I go, Dad, they are. They're all crazy. Even people that I thought were okay, they're crazy then. He goes, yeah, it's just us now. I felt that warm feeling inside. You know, my dad let it grow in my heart. And then he looks at me and he says, and now, he said, the whole world's crazy. It's just down to you and me. And he goes, now, I'm worried about you. <laughs> and then he laughed. 
And I realized my dad was just as deranged as ever. I mean, he just cut the car right down the middle between me and him. And then he would burst into laughter. You know, there's been some dark days in our ministry. And I've looked at you and said, it's just down to you and me. And now I'm worried about you. So let me just say, don't let crazy hit your head. Don't let it take over your mind. You can feel when you're about to get crazy. Don't go there. Let everybody yell at you till you're not crazy in your head. Because it is a war to make you feel crazy. Why do you think people go crazy? It's because it's war. It makes you feel crazy. Do we agree? It feels like the peace left the earth. Like, what happened? I mean, I can almost put a time on my calendar and say, it seems like the peace left the earth at this point. It's what happens with crazy. Okay, the second thing is verse 7. And it says, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. These things must take place, but it is not the end yet. So Jesus is telling us that once he leaves the earth, there's going to be a lot of wars. It's not going to ever let up. And if you're not having a war, you'll have a rumor that there's going to be a war. So you never feel quite peaceful because it's either going to actually be a war or it's going to have the atmosphere of war. And the whole world will live in a constant atmosphere of war. So there's no way that these people who think that there's going to be global peace, that it'll ever happen. Wars will not cease. And so there will always be the feeling that there's going to be a war break out at any time somewhere in the world. Have you ever studied how many wars are going on at any given time? And then you have the rumors of wars. And isn't that a funny way that Jesus said it? I think that's a hilarious word. He could have just said there's going to be a lot of wars going on and you'll periodically have war. And sometimes you'll get misinformation on war. But he says there will actually be a rumor of war when there isn't a war. And so I always thought that's a very unique way for it to say. Now verse 8, it says for ethnic group will rise up against ethnic group. Well, we haven't seen that. You have different translations here, and it says nation will rise up against nation. Look at the word. It's ethnos. How can that have happened? You live in peace, and suddenly we're in the midst of racial war. Was Jesus looking through binoculars 2,000 years ahead of all of a sudden everybody's going to be fighting each other? So it says, in my day and time, when I wrote this, we were concerned about the L.A. riots. We were concerned about the ethnic cleansings in different places of the world. Bosnia was a hot spot. You know, what has happened in the racial realm? Do you know the only place you can get where you're not having ethnic groups fighting ethnic groups is when you have the same daddy? Yeah. It's when you have the same father. And if you realize that we have the same daddy, then you realize there's no need for us to fight. And the only true place you can have peace is with Christians. Because I'm closer to someone that's of a different ethnic than I am, to someone out here in the world that's the same color as me, but doesn't know Jesus, because they have the father of the enemy. So I have brothers and sisters and mothers that are closer to me, in a different ethnic group than I do among people that don't know the Lord because we have the same dad. You know what Edwin Favors used to do to me? 
We lost Edwin this week. And it hurts. Edwin was one of my college guys. And Edwin was no light cookie. I think Edwin probably weighed 350 pounds. I mean, Edwin was big. But Edwin was beautiful. And Edwin could get up and he could rock a white church. I mean, he wore a suit and he threw his hanky and he let it rip. And he didn't need a microphone. And that guy did not stand behind a pulpit and sing. He let it come down. So you've got my daddy and you got Edwin. And they would lead people to Jesus every Sunday morning. And Edwin would let that hanky fly and off he would take. And I don't know how a man that could be, maybe I'm lying, 100 pounds. He could have been 400 pounds. Uh, I don't know. Edwin was big. But Edwin was the lightest man you have ever seen on his feet. And Edwin would cut loose, and we were like, let the visitors run. And so we had a lot of fun every Sunday. He rocked that place. And so that was Edwin's time here at Howard Payne with us. Now, Edwin went on, and he became a pastor in Dallas. Very close friend. I just seen Edwin not too long ago, and I told Edwin, we're going to have lunch, and I want to see your kids and your wife. I, I don't want to do this. He'd take me out to eat. And so it'd be Edwin and I sitting there. And the waitress would say, are y'all dating? I was so pleased to be his college pastor, and they thought we were dating. <laughs> so, of course, I, I was telling you, I was very close to their age at one time. And, and so Edwin would go, no, we're not dating. And he would say, she's my sister. And they were staring at us. He goes, we have the same dad. And he would never fix it for them. He was just like, we have the same daddy. And they were like, there is... There's no way. I mean, they're sitting there staring. Even two different wives couldn't have done what we're seeing here. And so Edwin loved playing that game with me. I think he took me out to eat all the time just to mess with everybody's head. And I'm telling you, what we believe about racial is use it to be different. Let's have fun. I mean, we can get more done the more differences that we have. It's like any relationship. At first, you like each other because what you're similar about. But eventually, in your relationships, you're going to like that other person for how they're different from you. Because difference gives you more options. It gives you more ability. I would tell you, try to marry someone very similar to you, because soon enough, you will find how they're different from you. At least the core values, very similar. But the differences in personalities gives you options. And so everybody brings some unique things to the table. And so in our group, we capitalize on what everybody brings, and we trade it like we're playing a hard game of cards together. In the world, though, they don't have that understanding. They don't have that understanding of, I completely understand you. I don't care what. We have differences between us in our cultural backgrounds, but we completely understand each other because of who we are in Jesus Christ. I mean, y'all, I'm going to tell you what's fun. What's fun is traveling and meeting Christians in a different culture. I mean, if you've not been to a church where you don't understand a word they're saying, <laughs> oh, they're hilarious. <laughs> Be in India. Ding, ding, dun, 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 and, and you're there for three weeks and you never hear your language. I mean, I go, what are y'all saying? Somali yom. Yeah, and they're shaking their heads and they worship and you finally get sothram, sothram. And you're like, am I saying it right? It means praise the Lord. And the music's so loud, it hurts your ears. What's fun is in seeing Jesus in other cultures. 
But guess what? They feel like family. And what's hard on you is that you want to go see them again. You want to, it's five plane rides for me to go over and see my family now because I felt family in other parts of the world. That's what you feel like when you go to the Philippines. You know, if I have people that they don't understand their Christianity, the best thing that I can do to them is take them to the Philippines and let them watch worship with people that are so primitive, so primitive. We sometimes go so far back in there that the people that you meet are living in chicken coops is what we would say. Like, as an American, we're so fat, is what they say. You're so fat, and you've got so many pimples. And I mean, they say every imaginable bad thing about you. But you walk in their little birdcage that they call a home, and you fall through the bottom of it. And that's because of the fact that, that you're using bamboo, and there's not one American that doesn't weigh what three Filipinos do. Culture. It's fun. Why are we worrying about it? I can't be insulted and hate Filipinos just because I get on the jeepney and they go, you pay three times. Why do I have to pay three times? Why are you cheating the American? Because you take up three spots. Three Filipinos could sit where you're sitting. I'm not going to start a war with them, but I think about it. <laughs> There's a place in Africa, they like you where you're bigger. They think you're richer. So I'm going to go to that place. But the Filipinos, if you have any insecurity problems, I mean, they find it and they pinch it. Yeah, they want to find what makes you nervous. Y'all, with Christians, it's different. We have fun. We tease each other constantly. It never lets up because that's what families do. Think of things your brothers and sisters have done to you. You could kill them. But anybody else tries to? Yeah, off with their heads. <laughs> that's what it is with Jesus. Don't let the world divide us because they have created racial war. I mean, my dad would have to go get Pastor Aaron Blake and link arms and solve some of the problems in Brownwood because we're not letting their chaos come to us. War. You can do something about it. So there's a war going in to make you believe the wrong thing. There's a war coming into your life. It's coming in on society trying to, number one, make you believe the wrong thing. Number two, it creates racial wars. Number three is the atmosphere of war. It's just like you think at any moment this thing's going to explode. Somebody's going to send a nuke. Something's going to blow up everything around us. You see these things take place for ethnos will rise up against ethnos. Ethnic group against ethnic group. Then verse 8, look at this one. For nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines, but these are only the beginning of the birth pains. So in this one, you have all the nature things being at war. Now, if you include in this group, besides earthquakes, famines, in Luke 21, it tells us one word that I think will catch our attention. Pestilence. Plagues will be released on the earth. There will be pestilence. Matthew and Luke pick up the idea that we're at war even in our own bodies. You know, they talk about that thing that everybody, you don't want to go to your doctor and hear, oh, it's the C word. You know, or it's a heart attack. These fatal epidemics. It's your body being at war inside of itself. You know, my dad told me something odd. He said, when we were growing up, 
he said, I only knew one or two people my entire growing up that had cancer. He said, now you see it trying to hit every single family with somebody they know in their family. Y'all, it's gone crazy inside. And then you add in man-made weapons, biological weapons, where they take it and they mess with our DNA and they release these things out. We have gone into a chaotic state of warfare. And that's what Jesus tells us will take place on the earth. It will just become alarmingly bizarre the amount of pestilence, plagues. Luke uses a word that's used nowhere else in Luke 21, 11, terror. And it says, don't let your heart fail you because men's heart will try to fail them because of what they see coming on the earth. It's like people's heart just can't stand up to what they're seeing. I've been reading about people where their child is taken into the ER room and the dad dies taking the child in because his heart goes into terror with what his kids are going through. Speak to your heart. I have peace in my heart. I have strength in my heart. The Lord gives you peace that the world cannot take away from you because the world didn't give you this peace. The world can't take this peace from you. Y'all, you need peace in your mind, in your body, in your soul when you go through this. That's where I'd get my covenants out and I'd pray the promises that my body stays strong and healthy because I have something I must do with my life. As you see this, you see horrible disasters taking place and it's the beginning of birth pains. I'm looking at how many have experienced birth pains in this room. A couple of you? <laughs> Most not. <laughs> Three? Mm-hmm. All right. So you understand what it means, the beginning of the birth pains taking place. Then verse 9 is our fifth one. And it says, but be on your guard, for they will hand you over to the courts. It means legal troubles. They will make life miserable for you. It's litigious. I have people call me and they say, it's amazing the attacks that have come against me. That is like a legal mess coming against you in your life. Then it says you will be flogged in the synagogues, in your places of worship, in the churches. So the next thing that happens is legal wars, government wars, courts, religious wars, denominational wars. They won't beat you up in the streets. They'll beat you up in the church. They'll beat you up in the court. And so there's chaos around you of thinking, where is this stuff coming from? The established church will hate you. Your government will hate you. The most persecuted group in America today are the Christians. It has changed. It is very unpopular now to be a Christian. Now, it will create the kind of church that I see overseas in persecuted countries. You'll either not be one or you will have the strength to stand up against the waves coming against Christian belief. You can't even be good at basketball <laughs> and them not hold you to a different standard if you say, I believe the Bible. So wars in the next arena, is the verse 9, is the political arenas. That when it gets into the fact that they will hate you in both the courts, the synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony before them. So if you get into big trouble, you go higher up the chain. 
You get in so much trouble that the governor knows about you. We have a family member that that, that may be taking place with. That your life, you get into some kind of uh, confrontation or conflict. And it actually becomes what I would call political wars. Would you say we have political wars? We have politic problems? I hate to tell you, Chris, the only thing I asked about you was, how's this politics? And when Clory told me you were just a good, solid conservative, I said, oh, he's a good man. <laughs> we're going to be friends right from the start. You know, it does become that thing between conservatives and between people who are, like, changing everything that has been proven true over time with history. I mean, it's just like all of our history has been thrown out the window. I dare you to be a conservative Christian and stand up. It will cause you to have hell come against you. You know, it started with Clarence Thomas. They even have names for it now where they bork you in the Supreme Court and they go after you. I mean, they'll have you have so many affairs with women by the time you're a conservative Christian, every woman in the world starts stepping out saying something happened here. It's literally, it's chaotic to even try to stand up in the political realm for what they'll try to do to you. So you have that feeling of wars going on on every side. And then verse 10 is holy war. And the gospel must be preached to all the nations. That's your right to share your faith. That's your ability to tell people what means the most to you, regardless of the cost. You know, I've always enjoyed the fact that I could fly overseas, go through a lot of conflict, but come home to Texas. It's safe here. It's a Bible belt. But it's beginning to thin out a little. So this is where I would say I would put spiritual warfare. When you're preaching the gospel, you will get into the spiritual warfare. The church will pass through doors which have never been opened to us before. We will take ground that has never been taken by the church. We will use communication and spreading the gospel in ways that have never been done centuries before. It is our chance to shine. It's beautiful to think that people can come to faith like that. You know why they say radio and TV is good? Because there's people who would never walk in a church door. But that radio station invades their car, their home. That Christian TV comes right on in. There are people that have come to faith because the TV literally invaded their space until their heart was prepared. So, holy wars, spiritual warfare, preaching the gospel. Verse number 8 is verse 12, and it says, And brother will betray brother to death. Father will betray his child, and children will rise up against their parents and have them put to death. I've never seen anything like it. It has become where family members are at each other. I mean, they bring a gun in to settle their dispute. What's happened to good old-fashioned water balloons and <laughs> shooting them with water soakers or, or doing some prank to them? I mean, people bring real guns in. I mean, I used to, if I had problems with you, I'd get my water gun out, and we would settle our war right then. Those are fun. You can live through those. Use paintball if you have to, but do something. <laughs> but literally, it has got to the point that families are not having fun. I mean, you read the crime. And betrayal is at an all-time high. When you look at this, it says brother will betray brother. 
The one person in your life that should stand up for you are your siblings. God made it that way. He made it that way where you're not going to let anyone else hurt your brother or sister. That is God-given. Something is taking that away. And so there's become a betrayal in your family clear up to the siblings. It's a family war. War will be with members of your household. In Luke 21, 16, it says that you will be delivered up as families in some cases. Jesus has told another one that sometimes there'll be a daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Well, everybody knows those. <laughs> you know, CSI gets so dark sometimes, you know. But how they put a little comedy in there is they have the mother-in-law killed. And they try not to laugh, but this one is, you know, the CSI is just, by the time you're over with, you kind of understand why everybody did it. But it's moved away from mother-in-laws. That's what it's saying. It's moving into a place where fathers should never kill their children. And children should never hate their parents to the point of death. But we're having an outbreak of outrage where the families are turning on family members. This is where I would say, win your family members. I know they're heathens. I know they're difficult. Some of you, I feel sorry for you when I meet your family. Like sometimes a college kid will walk in here and I'll think, I've got to see what produced that. What on earth could have caused this kind of a kid? I mean, I've realized when I got old, and it happened in a counseling session. I had been young. Until then, when they said, kids, stand up, and parents stand up, I always stood up with the kids. <laughs> but something happened one day when I was sitting on a couch, and I realized everything changed for me when I found out that this girl and guy we were doing premarital counseling for, that both of their parents were in drugs. You know, it had been... The parents didn't want their kids in drugs, but now we've got grandparents in drugs, and the mother had housed a rapist in her college dorm room. She told her daughter, I kept the rapist in my apartment, and she knew he was raping around the campus. And I was like, I've gotten old, because now the parents are crazy, and the kids are normal. And it's been happening a lot. And it makes you feel crazy inside to realize, my gosh, there are some messed up families. Like, the kid is the parent, and the parent is the child. And it's flipped in society. It says by the prophets, if you'll read the Old Testament prophets, that the children are now leading the family, are leading the nation. And people think like children. I'm looking at some of these people thinking, I can't imagine. A child will get a spanking for what this person just did. The parents have value systems of, in human development, I would say that's about a four-year-old thinking. I mean, I can't even give them a 12-year-old status or 17-year-old where they're all about themselves. They literally have no development. And that's what we see take place. It is chaos in the family if you're dealing with people that do not think maturely. If you don't have someone that has your best interest in mind, if you don't have someone that you knows for you and expects you to turn out and will be hard on you to make sure you do. If we don't say what I said this morning, that there was one mom that drove up to this campus and dropped her daughter off and said, the Lord will provide. And that person grew up into someone with strength. The mother reminded me of Moses' mother who to save the child's life, put him in a basket and said, the Lord will take care of you. Sometimes you float what means most to you off to let God grow strength in them. That person could take you to that very place on campus and say, this is where my mother 
tested my faith, right on my own faith. Y'all, this is what family is made of, where you create a child that you can launch and to have strength. But some of you, you're parenting your children that are your parents. And it's not right. We've somehow messed up. The next thing that will take place is, number nine, crime wars. Have we seen crime increase? <laughs> I'm telling you, it's gotten so peaceful, we don't even have to have police departments anymore. I mean, just get rid of our police because it's just no crime. Have y'all been looking at the stats? <laughs> oh, my goodness. They're going to have our uh, social workers go in there. I can't wait till Clary and her friend have to run in and separate by <laughs> the <a> gunfire. <laughs> Here's a peace citation. <laughs> you know, I was watching. We had a cop the other day, and I was watching them walk down an alley over here, and they were by themselves with the flashlight. And I thought, I'd hate to be them. But any time there was a problem, I had to walk into it. And they know where you are because you've got the flashlight. But you don't know where they are, and you don't know how many there are. And I thought, every day they've got to have courage. No wonder they overreact. I mean, on a bad day, I just start shooting everybody. You know, in Mexico, that's what they do. They're like, oops, we had 12 killed in friendly fire and their children. Because they just start shooting. They're not going to go down. In America, I mean, bless these guys' heart. I would be scared to walk into some of these situations. And they do it every single day. I watched them walk down that alley. And I thought, if I was a true friend of that cop, I'd go in there behind them then they'd probably shoot me. <laughs> but I was thinking, that takes a lot of nerve. And as the crime increases, you know, in Matthew 24, 12, it says lawlessness will increase because people's love grows cold. So used to, you know, in my grandpa's generation, he hitchhiked everywhere he goes. You know, we were told as kids, come home at supper time when the sun goes down. You know, on the TV at night, no kidding, it's 10.30, do you know where your children are? Because nobody took care of their children until it got to be dark. And then, dark 30, we had to be home. <laughs> they were like, go play with strangers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's where I would be at Walmart, and the Lord would tell me, go get in the car with that guy, I've witnessed to him. Well, i do it. I was never taught stranger danger, because there was not crime. I mean, everybody knew everybody in this town. But we've come into a place where lawlessness is increasing, like birth pains. So there's no more of that because you don't know on people's heart. Their heart got cold. And I don't like cold hearts. I get in the car with them and they're scared of me. <laughs> People are fearful. Fear makes you have a cold heart. Then, on the other hand, sometimes you're trying to help somebody and that person does you wrong. It's difficult on either side that people set you up. So, you're looking at all types of wars. Now, has Jesus missed one? Is there one we're not thinking of? Well, he ends it with number 10, personal wars. And look at how beautiful this states it. It just says, and you will be hated by everyone. <laughs> Did I miss anybody? <laughs> because of my name. If you've got his name inside of you, you will be hated and whispered about by everyone. But he who endures the end will be saved. Now, isn't this not edifying? <laughs> Happy. 
I mean, if I was the disciples, I'd be like, I'm sorry, I even asked about the devotive candles and the nice architecture. <laughs> oh, my lens, this is not good. So I thought, you know, I'll go into people's house and look at what they have written on their refrigerator or some scripture or on their mirror. I've never seen this scripture. And you will be hated by everyone because of my name. Oh, that's my promise for the day. <laughs> you version doesn't ever throw that one up to me. <laughs> Don't tell me Jesus isn't a prophet. So it's mental wars. People going crazy. <laughs> Life and people. Okay, so you can have war on your mind. There's actually going to be atmosphere of war. There's racial war, nature at war, biological war. So even in your body where your immunity system, it has to read it right. If you ever study cancer, actually cancer is where your body gets mixed up and it doesn't know which ones to fight and it starts fighting the wrong cells. So you see it's even spiritual warfare of how the body works against disease. So I speak to my body, have discernment. <laughs> Don't be misled. That's something evil hidden in something good. Don't attack the wrong thing. You've got to speak to yourself because you see it's getting even into your cellular parts. Nature at war, religious wars, governmental wars, political wars, holy wars, where you're preaching spiritual warfare, family warfare, crime, and then it gets personal. Everyone will hate you. So in Mark 13, it tells us, it will be the beginning of birth pains. Matthew tells you birth pains. So when you ask what's it going to be like, you can take all these categories and say it will work like birth pains. It will start spaced out five minutes apart, and it will move to two minutes apart. So that tells you earthquakes. Study them. They'll get quicker. They'll happen sooner. Like where there used to be space between these things, you'll have many hurricanes in a season. Not just one here and then a, another one here. It, they start speeding up. You can graph these things out and they go into those type of increments. And then not only do they get closer together, they get more intense. They come with more strength. It's harder and more rapid. Men, take notice. You're going to get to experience birth pains. The whole world <laughs> will be in birthday. Remember when you were so mad at your wife where she goes, I hate you. Don't ever come near me again. And she's screaming. <laughs> That's why people in the end start screaming to God. <laughs> it's pain. And that's how Jesus describes it. And that's why I'm telling you, now is your time for salvation. Now is your time to get close to the Lord. So, this is, gives you your commandments for Christians right here. What do you do? Jesus would not have told you what was going to happen if he wasn't going to give you an answer to it. Remember, he's the answer to your problems. And all through history, when God's people cries to him, he protects you. That's why we're doing this series. is so that you aren't the one running around like a chicken with your head cut off. And you're crazy with everyone else. This is not meant for you. The tribulation was not meant for believers. It's just all the evil in the world's coming back on people's heads. If you build your house on the word of God, you'll stand. So number one, don't be misled. 
Did you know you can tell yourself, I will not be misled during this time. I'm not going to get mixed up. I love truth. How do you know you're not going to get misled? Because Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the light. So, I just get to know him. I run towards the light. I don't go towards the darkness. In the darkness, it's very confusing. Mark 13, 5 would not tell you, do not be misled if there was no way to not get deceived. So when a person's deceived, they played some part in it. There was an open door. There was something. When my head starts going crazy or something, I'm looking for, what, what did I do to let this in? What, what open door, did, what thought was I playing patty cake with? What, what was I doing that I wasn't given a resistance What's unresolved inside of me? What needs to be straightened out? This is the time to get delivered. Remember when Jesus said, the ruler of this world has come, and he has nothing in me. You don't need to have anything in you that welcomes the crazy. Because believe me, everybody starts screaming. And if you're stable, let me tell you what's going to happen to us that's stable. Everyone that's crazy wants to be your friend when things are unstable. Like, they're in chaos. Like, y'all, I hate to fly in now and meet with people in retreats. You talk about not letting you sleep. You talk about attack. People are desperate. And anybody that seems to have any strength or any stability of mind, they want you to talk them through all their problems. Because all this is happening in their life. I'm telling you, don't be misled. You don't have to be. You can be the one that has power, love, and a sound mind. I tell my mind, mind, you're powerful. Mind, you're filled with love. Mind, you're sound. You don't get all rattled. You have peace in you. But it guards my heart and my mind, my peace. I don't have to be misled. I don't want to be misled. I don't like how deception feels. I don't want to think crazy. I'm going to jump over on my dad's side. Don't talk to me like that. <laughs> you know, Sam was our experiment. I would babysit. I don't know why she and White named me Medea. But I'd tuck them in at night. I'd wake them up by pouring water in their ear. But at night, I would tell Sam every gory story that ever happened to me on the mission field, every demon story. And then I'd tell her, sleep tight. <laughs> I was making sure I didn't create Alicia. <laughs> Don't have any Tara dreams. We'll, we'll take you through deliverance. Checking to see if there's any open doors. She turned out good, I, I did to her. <laughs> I did to Sam what my dad did to me. He tested it to see if it held. <laughs> Don't be misled. You have a choice. You can make up your mind right now. I'm not going to go crazy. I'm going to make it to the end. You can make up your mind right now that I'm not going to get into deception. I'm going to keep a straight mind, and I'm going to love truth. I've fallen in love with truth, and I'm not going to be taken away from truth. I remember the day that I told the Lord, I love truth. I'm not going to mess around with crazy thoughts. Because I've seen people, and they know what they're thinking is wrong. 
They know they're lying to themselves. That's warning. Warning. When you're lying to yourself, warning. The bells and the alarms are going off. You're lying to yourself. That's the worst person to lie to. You have got to quit lying to yourself. And you tell yourself the truth, even when it hurts. Get out of the lies. Get out of the deception. Get out of the fantasy. Face the reality and trump it with truth. But when I read that verse, it says, those who love truth will be saved. I decided I could divide Christians into two groups. There's a group of Christians that don't love truth, and they're playing games. They're not going to make it. I thought about taking our church and putting all those people on one side, but it worked out okay. They left in the split. People that really love truth on the other. Because I don't want to waste my time. Love truth. Fall in love with truth. And you'll not be misled. Because truth is kind of like, you know, have you ever seen a baby do this? It's shocking to me that a little blob of flesh, you know, the thing that mothers show you and you have to say, oh, that's beautiful. And you're looking at it going, it looks like an alien Martian. Did they use clamps on its head? Will it grow? Would it get right? But you don't say those thoughts. Not to a mom. Chris, don't do it. But you look at that child, and it's shocking. But that kid knows its mama. And the mama knows its voice. It's amazing how that baby will scream until it's back in mama's hands. And we're not sure. Let me tell you, that's you with God. You recognize God. Truth feels right to you. Don't lie to me. I always enjoy working with atheists. I've, had, I've dismantled so many atheists because deep down, they know in their heart I'm telling them the truth. Why do they believe me? Because I've worked with gang members forever. San Antonio gang members. All these different gang members. And I was like, you're streetwise. And you can read a con. And I said, look in my eyes. You can tell I'm telling you the truth. You might not be ready to accept it, but you know I'm telling you the truth. So let's not play games. If you're in a period of rebellion, call it rebellion. I'm just not ready for God yet. I have a few things I want to do with my life to sow some wild oats. Make my deliverance terrible for you. <laughs> I'll give you some limits. Don't do these. These are horrible in deliverance. No witchcraft. None. None yet. Stay away from witchcraft. <laughs> but truth is wonderful. I don't know why. I love the way truth feels. Do you know someone, the head of ACLU said this. I never forgot. She said, in the free market of ideas, truth will win. Mm. Did you know in debate class, if you know what you're doing and you have a love of truth, you'll win. Jesus could beat those Pharisees. Don't make Christianity so weak. You can debate and win. Because you love truth. God gives you wisdom that confounds the nation. It says even children have wisdom. And you're, you're shocked at the wisdom of a child. It's truth, y'all. Have wisdom. You've seen it when you've been profound. You think, where did that answer come from? That's why it says, let him drag you before kings. Because he'll tell you what to say when you get there. Two, don't be frightened. Don't let your head go crazy. And don't be scared. Even about war, Mark 13, 7. Do not be frightened when you hear this. So you got to tell yourself, no fear. None. I wake up some mornings and I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. I need to go back to sleep. My dreams were better than what's happening in the world today. 
but I won't let myself leave till the fear goes under my feet. Fear is just reality heading towards us. And you've got to lead through the fear. So I ask the Lord, give me the authority I need for this day that there's nothing that I face or anyone that I have influence or authority with, there's nothing that I don't have the answer for, the strength for. I don't want to be where Jesus rebukes you and says, look, I gave you authority, why could you do this? So you have the authority for whatever problems you face in a day. If a gunman should pull a gun on you, you're not going to fall apart screaming like an idiot. You're going to talk truth to them. You saw it in War Room. That grandma knew truth. And it worked on film. It did not make Christians look crazy. She showed you how to do it because she had already won in her war room. So you fight these wars, but where you win them first, inside of yourself you have the victory, and then you walk out and you live it out there in the day. If you're not doing your prayer time, come up and I'll paddle you as soon as this is over. I can't make up for if you're not doing it. If you're making me drag your load because you're not praying, I'm thinking about beating you. <laughs> You know, Brother Jacob, he started out, pray 20 minutes a day. So then the day he came to me a few years later, he goes, if you don't pray an hour, you're not going to even make it through this year. And then they tell me, don't worry about sleep. Just get up in the night and start praying. <laughs> We're living in those times. God has chosen you. I've been trained all my life not to fail God at this moment. Don't be a weak soldier. Be on your guard persecutions it's your opportunity to testify mark 13 9 be on your guard be alert don't look at it as oh woe is me Just think i'm playing offense i get to testify what can i tell them i've had four times that i've got to speak to the city everybody says it doesn't sound like you're talking to them it sounds like you're speaking to your crossliners i mean we're all waiting for the altar call because it's time for brown went to receive the truth and quit playing games. We've been doing it for too many generations. Yeah. So it's my opportunity. When God gets you in a place of conflict, is it as your time to speak? Yeah, you feel like a fool. But once you start talking, you enjoy it because God's liking it. Always like it when I speak and God's enjoying what I'm saying. Have you ever told a joke and he doesn't laugh? <laughs> it gets real quiet. It says, don't be anxious about defending yourself. The Holy Spirit will give you the wisdom so strong that nobody can refute what you're saying. When you get there, you can debate. Because truth will win. You've got to be real accustomed to truth. The world likes information. They like reality. You love truth. And truth trumps reality. Always. Truth trumps facts. The cults, people that are into cults, they get into denial. They'll say that doesn't exist. Evil doesn't exist. Sickness doesn't exist. That's a cult. Christianity doesn't deny reality. It just takes gravity and learns how to fly above it. You have the ability to go above it. The Holy Spirit will give you wisdom. And then... This is the verse I like. You will preach the gospel to every ethnic, every ethnic group on the earth. And then the end will come. The Lord's waiting on us. Where are you preaching the gospel? 
People think, oh, Angie's been in so many different countries. I think I'm about at 35. And I go to a lot of the same ones. The Lord keeps calling me back. But look to this map. 35 is not that many. Have you been preaching the gospel? Y'all, there's nothing more fun than preaching to people that's murdered somebody. <laughs> when I was 17, I wanted to go talk to someone that killed their mama. Or a cell phone. You know the girl that told me, I'll bake you a cake. I go, why? You were putting antifreeze in your stepdaddy's soup every night because he took your cell phone away and you're going to cook for me? <laughs> Y'all, prison ministry's fun. <laughs> You'll find out if the gospel works or not when you go to that group. But you preach to every ethnic group. I'm committed to ethnic groups to preach. So the safest group on earth is preachers. Because they go to the end. You'll preach the gospel to the end. See? So the preachers live the longest. But they don't get crazy in their head and warfare. So you preach to the end. You must last to the end. This is odd. Mark 13, 13. Luke 21, 19. He who endures to the end will be sozoed, saved. Sozo is the Greek word. He who endures to the end. Do you see what that's saying? This is not a 50-yard dash. My runners, this is a marathon. You must make it to the end. There is no prizes for quitting along the way. At rest stops. Don't have a place on this list that it gets so bad you check out. Oh, what's, I wasn't expecting racial wars. I wasn't expecting there to be a hurricane. I wasn't expecting somebody to kill so-and-so. I wasn't expecting... Don't have a place you stop. You're going to endure to the end. You must make it. He who endures to the end will be saved. Then, if you do the commandments, there's always promises. And he gives us two promises. The first promise is you will be persecuted. <laughs> Mark 13, 9, Luke 21, 13 through 17. Even to the point some are martyred, that they'll choose to take their testimony and sign it in blood. I believe this so much, I will sign it in my blood. And if you don't exactly get martyred, and they don't want to kill you because they didn't realize you believed it that much, sometimes it backs off a little bit, and you love not your life even to death. You're that determined to get that person to know the truth. It's persecution. You don't let someone take your life from you. You don't become a bloody spot in the road or a casualty of some kind of epidemic. You tell your body, you must live and declare the works of God. I will live and not die and declare the works of God. Like little Alicia bringing me that chick the other day that drowned. There's nothing like a chick that's drowned and given up hope. I told her to speak life. And we laid hands on that chick, and I don't know what happened. It turned into a canary. I've never heard a chick sing like a bird. It's like those mockingbirds. It sings off. I'm like, what's wrong with this chicken? It doesn't chirp, cheep, 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 cheep. It sings. Melodies. I don't know. It must have visited heaven. You'll be persecuted. Speak life to yourself. You may need what I just told you. I'm not digressing. I'm telling you how to make it. You think I'm telling you stories that are digressing? Did you have them in your family? Have you prayed for things and seen life come back into them? If you haven't, you need to listen to me. Because you may need this. We're living in rough times. 
If it's not working for you, stay after it till it works. You will be persecuted and you will be protected. Luke 21, 18. Not one hair. He could have said not one arm or leg or finger or your head won't come off. But he said not one hair on your head will perish. Wow. That could go in my refrigerator. <laughs> when your hairs are protected, it's real protection. <laughs> so, this is what it looks like. <laughs> this is how people are viewing it. They're trying to get hopeless. And you've got the hope of the world. And honestly, this is your best hour. Because people are willing to listen before they go down. Amen.